0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to Career Crossroads, and if you're new here, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. I'm Jonathan Colliton, and this is the podcast where I talk to one person each week about all the decisions that led them to their current career path. How's it going, everybody? I am back. I ended up taking a couple weeks off, but uh, back and ready to, to put out some new episodes, Now, that break was not exactly planned. It was sort of forced upon me due to some logistical issues with setting up other interviews. But as I took some time, it occurred to me that it wasn't just that I was having logistical issues because of external factors. It was because I was kind of burnt out and I just wasn't doing the work I needed to do. So I know that in my inbox, I have emails from people who emailed me in May or June about this podcast that I still haven't responded to. And I decided I should probably just take some time off and recharge and come back in with a a fresh mindset and figure out how to continue to do something productive with this podcast and how to keep making a good product for the people that listen. So I'm feeling better, I'm back, and I've got some exciting new guests to bring to you to talk about all the pivots they made in their career. So here we are. This week, I'm talking to Katie, who is currently on her third different career path. And right now, Katie is a teacher in a small town in Nunavut in Northern Canada. But prior to that, she had a career working in aquatics, and that could have been a long-term career for her. And then she explored a career in journalism and dabbled in that for a little while. Now, Katie and I have this really interesting connection that comes up really early on in the conversation, so let's get right to the interview, and afterwards, we'll talk about what we can learn from Katie. Katie, thank you for joining me this morning. How's it going?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. It's going well. It's hot and warm. It took yeah, some adjusting.
0: And, <laughs> yes, definitely, and that is because you have come... Recently from very, very far north, and you're now somewhere in southern Ontario. Where exactly are you right now? Or you're up at your college? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm in Aurelia right now on Lake Simcoe.
0: Oh, very nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So I want to start this off by explaining how we know each other because we have this weird connection <laughs> where we I have cousins and you have cousins, and they're the same cousins, but we're not cousins. And that's because my uncle George married Judy. Judy is your mom's sister, and so most people probably don't know their cousins' cousins from the other side of the family, but we know each other through odd coincidences, and uh, mm-hmm. here we are. So, yeah, what a strange connection to have, eh?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a funny connection, that's for sure. hmm So,
0: we're going to talk about your career path today. I want to start off by talking about what you were like when you were a teenager or when you were first beginning to think about what you might want to do with your future. If that happens to be before you were a teenager. I know some people at like 6 years old are like I'm going to be a doctor and then they just work with that plan all the mm-hmm. way through. But for you, what were you like as a teenager? What were your interests, your hobbies, what were you raised and you know, did you have an idea about what you wanted mm-hmm. to do with your life?
1: All right. So, well, when I was a teenager, I was pretty quiet and kind of reserved. And I like to observe before I participate kind of thing. At 16, at 15, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. But I was a competitive swimmer at that time. So I was really involved in the synchronized swimming world. And that kind of launched me into what ended up being my first career. Um, I had just finished competing nationally. And then I started coaching and got my lifeguarding qualifications and then I became a lifeguard. So I didn't really know, well, I never thought lifeguarding would be a career, first of all, but uh, I kind of like seeing where things go and staying with things as I learn. So I was getting a lot out of those jobs and I was learning a lot from those jobs. So I stayed with them for a while. Um, I always liked to read. I was a big history nut. I think that was one of the things. I think we both have history degrees. (laughs) Um, Yep. Yeah. And so that's what pushed me into university was I went to university for history and English. And I went not thinking, oh, this is going to get me a career because most people don't have careers in history. That's rare. But I went because that was an interest and I was learning and I was passionate about the content. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so
0: then that's where we met taking that history degree together at Laurier <laughs> there was this big group of us that all just became friends from that program yeah. so yeah uh, and it was kind of funny right because like I knew I was told like by so our cousins Pat Rob Nicole Kristen and I knew that they had a cousin who went to Laurier who was doing history and then we met mm. during do you remember the amazing race that a team event I think that's how we met in first year or some sort of like scavenger hunty thing. You were at oh, okay. one of the yeah. sort of mm-hmm. yeah, that like little the old elementary school that Laurier owned, and you were oh. stationed there, and I was running to that station, and then you were there, and I was like, oh hey, we're supposed to meet each other. Our cousin oh, said yeah, we should that's, meet.
1: That's right. That was in I think first year or something, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think I think we had like been may- to. I, I was gonna say I think we met as kids, like really, really little, because I know my parents oh. know your parents. But like nobody remembers that as a child, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, we probably Mm -hmm. did, eh? Because somebody would Mm -hmm. have had like a pool or something. And yeah, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. All right. So so but like I want to talk about Laurier and the history degree, but I want to go back to this lifeguarding thing. And Mm -hmm. so you were you were coaching already before you went away to university?
1: Yes. Yeah. I uh, started coaching to get some volunteer hours because, you know, in undergrad or undergrad in high school, you need those 40 hours to complete to graduate.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah.
1: So I did that coaching. And then um, as I got older in the synchro world, I started volunteering with other teams and that kind of thing. And um, then when I was about I think 16 is when I started coaching by myself. Like I had my own team. I was responsible for my own little athletes. Yeah, so I did that okay. then, and then I took a break in university. I didn't really do anything. I wanted to kind of see what else was out there because literally water was my world. That's <laughs> um, all you
0: really knew at that point,
1: eh? Yeah, and I kind of go big or go home. Like in high school, to get ready for university, to you know save up as much money as I could. I worked three jobs in my grade twelve year. Like I worked. And they are all water based. I was a lifeguard in two different areas, like a city of Hamilton YMCA's, and then I also coached, which was run. It's not run through a city, so um, mm-hmm. time time management was a skill of mine that I learned quite young. And uh, I really liked helping athletes figure out, like goal setting, right from a young age, right? Like it's a synchro. It's it's a tough sport where like you have to celebrate the little wins, and you um, yeah it's it's so built on skill like it's it's once you have that foundation you keep building up on it and helping athletes not get discouraged when they're expecting to go from like a to Z, and being like hey no you made a milestone hey you did another milestone that kind of breaking it down like that um i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed working with athletes doing that
0: and were you raised in waterdown is that where you're from
1: yes so i'm from waterdown ontario um, which is technically part of Hamilton, which is about 40 minute, 45, probably an hour and a half now with traffic to Toronto. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And like Hamilton's a big enough city on its own that it can like stand on its own. And, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, at least local people are going to know where it's from. Maybe not some of the Americans are or Brits or anybody else listening to this, but uh, yeah, but Hamilton's find, a big city. It's not like yeah, a tiny little town.
1: No, though I do find whenever, because I, I work so much out of province, I, I live out of province now. Generally, whenever I'm traveling and people ask where you're from, you start with Toronto and then, oh, I'm from, or I'll start Ontario and then Toronto, then okay, Hamilton. Oh, you know Hamilton? Okay, yeah. water down.
0: <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah, that's how you have to really break it down for, yeah. for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then the decision to go to Laurier for you, it's a bit away from Hamilton. It's not all that far, realistically. I mean, it's maybe the second farthest university because McMaster is like right there. So that would yeah. have been a, an easy, close decision. So why Laurier? What interested you mm-hmm. about going
1: there? Um, it's its funny you mentioned McMaster. That's literally in my backyard. It's a 10-minute drive. And both my parents went to McMaster. That's where they met. And so they were really wanting me to go to McMaster, but I didn't want to because it was in my backyard. Um, I liked oh, yeah. yeah, I liked Wilfrid Laurier because it was far enough that I could justify living on my own, which I was kind of really excited to try. And um, what else? It was close enough that I could come home quite frequently. There were some times in my undergrad where I was needed at home a lot, so it was easy to... I, if needed, I could have lived at home and commuted, um, Right, which right. I didn't end up doing, but that was always an option. And then when I went and did all of my tours of universities, I really liked Laurier's campus feel. So um, my mom and sister and I went to Laurier. We didn't go on a tour day. We didn't do any of that like student life stuff. We just randomly showed up on a day. And we got lost. I got lost on the block radius of Laurier. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> funny um, to think about after the fact, right yeah it, it's it's a city block, right? but I'm from a small yeah. small town Waterdown got overwhelmed. Um, but what I really liked was there was some random students that just they saw that we were lost and saw that we were you know visibly uncomfortable being like trying to navigate where we were. And they, you know, stopped what they were doing and just came and was like, hey, can we help you? And they helped get us back on track and find our car, which was nice. Um, But that kind of stuck with me was the um, willingness to go and help out. Like they they don't, they didn't know us. They had no idea what was our story or anything like that. But they were willing to reach out and support. And I kind of, that stuck with me. I really liked that.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, the decision to go to university overall... You mentioned that history was sort of like an interest, but you know, you talked about there. There's sort of, I don't know if there's limited careers in it, but it's like they're very niche careers, right? If you Mm want to go and do something with a very specific history degree. Otherwise, it's the type of degree I found that gives you a lot of really good skills you can apply to other things. But I certainly went in without. I went in with a plan, and by the end of first year, that plan was shot. And I was like, well, now what? What am I going to mm-hmm. do with this degree? Uh, and I found ways to to get other skill sets that would give me a career. But I think back to like the decision to go to university overall. And I think for me, there wasn't really much of a... I don't want to say there wasn't much of a choice, but it was never really a conversation. It was just like, that's what I'll do, because that's the next step. But mm-hmm. I didn't put a lot of thought, I think, into why that was. And I don't know if it was just my parents sort of, you know, directing, pushing me in that direction or something like that, but it just seemed like this is what I'll do next for Mm -hmm. you. Was there very, was there something specific that like a specific reason you wanted to go to university or was it one of those like, well, that's just the next step in your career path. Your parents had gone to university. And so, you know, you always thought you would go as well.
1: Yeah, it was kind of university was never not really an option, which, um, I know that that's that's a very unique thing because I know like the older, the more I work outside of, you know, the water down Waterloo bubble, the more I see, you know, different ways of living and different pa- career paths that are mm-hmm. just as valid as university. Um, but I think because my parents were, uh, I, I think because they were first, the first generation to graduate from university, that was something that they wanted to continue. Gotcha. And... It was it was a good fit for me. So I like I could like I always loved to read history and re- English were a passion. The form of education that we went through in high school and in university was a good fit for my style of learning. So it was it was a natural progression that worked well. Um, my struggles in university weren't academic related; they were more, I guess, careers or life skill oriented. Um, so I didn't. I don't know. It just, it was one of those, it was always going to be part of my, part of my career journey, I guess. And I went into history. Well, I was, I really liked my high school history teachers. And again, the older I got and the more into education I got, the more I realized how lucky I was to have that history department. Um, And that is what kind of pushed me into taking a history degree and you know there was all those questions of you know well what are you going to do with a history degree what are you gonna where are you going to go from there which you know they're all valid and I went in it with the mindset of like I'll pick up skills that I can apply to a future career Um, my parents had always said you would be really good in education but you know what 20 year old Katie was like let me figure it out on my own like don't push me (laughs)
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think uh, that happens to a number of people. Where if if you've not had the chance to sort of strike it out on your own prior to university, that is the time to do it. Right. Yeah. you are far enough away from home that uh, you've got to do things for yourself. You've got to learn how to do things you've never done before. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn from those mistakes
1: and. Those are all, I think, positive things. Like absolutely, they're such great learning opportunities, right? Like you, the mistakes for the most part are like you. You learn from them. You either learn, okay, I can't do that again, or that's not working. Let's try something new.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, some sort of like you used the word struggle before in talking about some of the things at university. So was there aspects of your time at Laurier that were just like super easy academics were fine and other things were a little more difficult or what was that overall experience like for you? Because everybody seems to have this, this different way that they think about their university career after the fact, whether it was fun or hard or, or informative. So what was it like for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was informative for sure. And I think, um, so I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a very I I had a lot of structure growing up um when I was a synchronized swimmer I was training around 25 hours a week I worked three jobs in grade 12 like my my norm was like scheduling my time down to like the minute sometimes and then going away to university and not joining any competitive sports or not having a job right away that didn't last long I picked up a job pretty quick after I realized spare time and I don't work very well um but uh, being be going into a place and just, um, you know, having so much time and not a lot of times to meet or like schedules or deadlines that I had a hard time with. And um, just figuring out how to navigate that type of scheduling was a good experience. Like I, I learned slowly how to cook um Mm-hmm. I learned to be comfortable doing things that I wanted to do, that kind of stuff. So you have, you went from a, a
0: scheduled life, which is a sort of – it builds up over time. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure like most other people who are doing those type of competitive sports, there's a lot of uh, – parental guidance in that in that like they need to drive you to things and they need Mm -hmm. to be very involved in that schedule because it's got to fit with them and all of a sudden you're on your own and it's like literally a blank slate and you have to make up your entire here's what i'm going to do for the 24 hours that comprise today and the however many hours comprise Mm -hmm. a week 140 or something like that yeah yeah so that can
1: be that's uh it's a big jump for sure yeah and and like Like, my fourth year, I was a full-time student, but I had six hours of scheduled in-class time a week. That was a challenge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah,
0: I remember, Mm -hmm. I think I was told three hours of reading for every class hour uh, Mm -hmm. or something like that. But I'm sure it was, like, I know my seminar my last year was three hours. And so that leaves you with, like, not many other classes, I guess, really, and a lot Mm -hmm. of of outside-of-class work to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So is that, um, but nobody's holding you accountable to that work time, right? Really all that's holding you accountable is your grades. So making my own schedule that I didn't have to be accountable to a coach or to a parent or something was, it was a good skill to learn. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Good for you. That the lack of accountability is, uh, probably what contributed to the many, many all-nighters I had to pull during Mm -hmm. my time at university. So as you're approaching the end of university, you've been trying to build up these skills and you're getting probably really good at time management now after having practiced that for so many times. At the end of university, that final year, I'm sure at the Christmas break or something like that, you're seeing family and they're all asking, what are you going to do when you graduate? Mm -hmm. Because I know that's the same question I had to answer. How do you answer that question? What was the plan?
1: Oh, um, that was pretty stressful. I, um, what would what would I I don't remember what I would say to them. But I think um I started job hunting and I started applying for jobs mostly in like like Laurier had a lot of job fairs and stuff like that. So I remember going to those. I remember one of my aunts was at one and she was excited um to like, you know, where p- help me with my resume and help me with um applying my skills from my undergrad to the workforce or to um yeah, to, uh, to make them applicable to join a company or to join a business. Um, but I ended up, I actually ended up going back to my old job. Um, so throughout throughout my undergrad, so I didn't work for first year, but then after that, I always had a job and I worked at the YMCA for about pre- every every single summer, I would do that. And then during the school year, I would work, well, I ended up working as a lifeguard. I worked at the call center um, what else? I worked at Union Market at the sandwich shop, got my retail oh, experience yeah. there. <laughs> um, Great food at Union Market. Yeah, yeah. I did not enjoy working there. But um, again, there's skills that I learned from that, right? But uh, I think I'd said, I think I would say things like, I am, um, you know, I will, I, I was offered a full time position at the Y. So I said, like, I'll take that and then I'll keep applying to jobs as I go, kind of thing. Um, so I did, you know, like the thousands of interviews or that you feel like you're doing, but business didn't really feel like a good fit for me. I don't know. I just, I never really enjoyed working in like a corporate atmosphere. Like I like, um, uh, I, what I, I liked working at the wise because it was, uh, it was a professional atmosphere, but there was also a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of different options of things that you could do. Like I was in the summers, I was starting to work as an aquatic coordinator. So I started, I started getting into management at like 18, 19, 20. I was managing other guards and stuff. And um, so I I enjoyed being able to spend time doing different things. Like I I had a couple hours of office work a week. I had a couple hours on deck. I was teaching aquafit with seniors. Like it was a full-time job, but it was changing up what I was doing all the time. So yeah. I started, and it was
0: related though to the mm-hmm. the swimming and the, the synchro swimming that you were. That was already a big part of your life previously. So, because I'm trying to, I'm sort of wondering like where the connection is, right? How do you, mm-hmm. you how do you get into that? And the transition is really from being in synchro to then you're doing some of the more management side of things because you've already proven yourself as a good employee at that point, and you've got a mm-hmm. certain skill set. Now they're giving you an expanded skill set, and you're doing more things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to kind of see where that could go. um, Because I was in university in my undergrad, and I was hiring people already, like I was interviewing people, I was helping create a workplace environment, I was managing, there was a lot of room for growth for me. So I felt like I was coming into a job, and I was learning and I was growing, and it didn't, I was learning new skills. I didn't feel like I was, you know, hitting a ceiling or being frustrated, doing the same thing every day. Like there was so much variety of things I could do.
0: You could see a path there to have a, if not a, Mm -hmm. if not a career for the rest of your life, you saw a future for however long of, of you working there and continuing to build up your skills and get promoted and things like that.
1: Yeah. Like I was like, I was wanted to see where things could go. I had a feeling it wouldn't be permanent because, but it was, I ended up working there for like 12 years (laughs) <laughs> on and off like it was I wasn't always full-time there but the YMCA played a big part in my early career for sure.
0: Wow okay <laughs> so then yeah <laughs> right after were you there like full-time for just the summer or did it go longer than that before you ended up doing something else?
1: Um, no I worked full-time there after after we graduated uh, undergrad I became a full-time aquatic coordinator, so I was there, I had a full-time permanent contract in a job at 22, 21. And so I was there for a year before I went back to school, and I went to to Sheridan for journalism.
0: Okay, so how did that come about? (laughs) How do you pick, how to like, out of left field, journalism school, I'm sure there's got to be some sort of
1: like story about how that became something you were interested in. Um, I just, I love, I love storytelling and I love information and sharing and yeah, sharing news, sharing stories and learning essentially. And that was one of the things like I had a, in, at the end of my undergrad, I made a list of like, you know, what, what can you do with a BA in English or a BA in history? And, um, my degree actually, I graduated Laurier with a degree in, it's a double major history in English with a minor in religion and culture. Because I had a hard okay. time sticking to one. <laughs> yeah, we've been. I've been there too. So yeah. I yeah. double
0: majored, and I changed one of my double majors partway through. So I get yeah,
1: you. yeah. Um, so on my list was I, I, I like I like reading the news. I like knowing what's going on. Um, and I was like, oh, like I have background experience in writing, and I have background experience mm-hmm. in history. Journalism would be a good fit, and I always loved writing and that kind and. Uh, like documentaries and stuff like that. So I did a little bit of research and I looked around and um, shared, an, it's a postgraduate diploma or certificate. Um, it's not another university degree, but it was a one-year program. Mm-hmm. And I thought this would be a good program to see if I would be a good fit in the news world. So I was able to do that. I lived at home for that year and uh, commuted to Oakville. So it's about a, you know, a half an hour drive-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I would say in Sheridan is when I really learned uh, how to be a really effective writer in university. They, you know, all the word counts and, you know, fancy jargon. And then, you know, I remember submitting my first article and was like, I nailed this. This is good. And my prof just destroyed it and was like, nobody's going to read that Katie. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it about it? Was it like too oh, long and too wordsmithy? Or yeah. Just it was just, it was really, point? yeah, it was really wordy and, news journalism is succinct right like um the way that it's the way the way in any news and you'll notice it if you look for it it starts with the most recent information up at the top and then you build context the further down you read so like you know you have two minutes you have a minute to read something you could just read the first paragraph and you pretty much get the gist of what's going on and as i'm sure you're aware in an undergraduate essay is the complete opposite oh yeah
0: there is (laughs) uh they would say, like, don't put any fluff in there. But I'm like, fluff is 50% of the essay. I got to build up the, yeah. like, I want to make my point, but I also have to be a certain length. So maybe I'll just restate something in a different yeah. way down here. You and, gave uh, me a word count I was, have to honor. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm certain yeah. I was guilty of that. I, I've often thought about going back and trying to, like, read some of my papers from university. And I think... Would I just hate myself if I did that oh. now? I don't know. I'm not sure I, it's uh, oh, the best option I, for
1: me. I remember keeping them for years, being like, I was so proud. I put so much work into this, like it was. And then I'm after that journalism program, I was like, no, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah but
0: yeah, I don't need these anymore.
1: Yeah. um, But and what I liked too was um, I'm really, I was really interested in radio and kind of context building news. So things like, I really like documentaries, um, things like the agenda that kind of more in-depth news, not just the topical, this is what's happening on the day. And that program offered yeah. that. And that was a really good program to apply some of this, like uh, the researching skills that I gained in university into like a, ascend like into a program that I would use more frequently like I find those skills I learned in Sheridan were built off of a foundation from my undergrad for sure that's fascinating I and Mm. I can I can see that link totally as soon as
0: you said that I'm like oh absolutely I Mm -hmm. remember having to look through microfilm in the library till I was looking at newspapers articles from the early 1970s and Mm -hmm. you know And going into a a program like what you went into, knowing how to do something like that would be super valuable. You actually have the experience of having done that research where how many people out there can say they've ever looked at microfilm, you know?
1: Mm -hmm, Right. Other other than historians, right? Yeah. It was a natural progression, I guess. And I enjoyed, we did some documentaries. I worked on many documentaries and stuff and I found my niche in journalism was more of the research and the the writing, the the background, the behind the scenes kind of thing. Um, but while I went to school was uh, you know, the onset of uh everybody's a journalist now with a smartphone. Right. And which, you know, that's that has its merits, but it also made my that area in journalism where I would be a good fit, it made it really small. And yeah. um so yeah. That's that's a tough mm-hmm. How do I say this? It's probably
0: tough to come to the realization that you've gone into a program and maybe, did you view this as like the second time you've gone into a program where out on the other side, it's going to actually be difficult to get a job that's directly related to that? Because Um, that's how I'm hearing things as you're saying them.
1: Yeah. Like I realized throughout the, because it was just a year long program. And so towards the end of the year, we started to do uh like we do internships at the end kind of thing and just going right, right. into that made me realize I'm like and looking at all the jobs like people are starting to apply to and how many contracts or part time or like they're just were like like people were becoming video journalists or they they were making and writing and producing like it was a really good skill set right cuz you can be do all of these things essentially like a news team became like one or two people right um, yeah. And for someone who didn't really want to be, I, I I didn't want to be the person on the camera. I didn't like doing the videotaping behind the camera. I liked doing the supporting the background stuff. I was kind of like, well, like, I'll try. I applied to, I applied to quite a few jobs. I did an internship, but it wasn't, nothing really connected with me and it didn't feel like the right fit. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, yeah, I could, I could do yeah. this for a living, but do I want to chase contract to contract to contract if I'm not passionate about it? Especially like what I was passionate about in news was becoming less and less available. Right.
0: Yeah. Now, did you have any like outside factors like family members or anyone else that was sort of questioning, you know, you've now gone and done sort of a second thing after high school, you did an undergrad and then you did a post-grad and You know, you're thinking maybe this, maybe there isn't anything that connects with me in journalism. Maybe this isn't what I'm going to do. Was there anybody on the outside that was sort of pushing you to just like, you're going to have to try it for a while because I know that sometimes there's pressures to just like, just get a job and work because that's what we're supposed to do. And even though I know the the post-grad certificate programs are not always overly expensive, nothing like the cost of an, an undergrad degree, but there's always there is money involved right and mm-hmm. so you've got to you've got to spend money to get that diploma or certificate and at the same time you're not actually making any money well unless you're working part time but i mean mm-hmm. you're not in a full time job right so you'd be you'd be able to make significantly more money in a full time job and i'm really asking just because I, there's such a difference i see in some people about whether or not it's they want to just like get into the workforce and start making money versus they want to spend the time and effort and do things two or three times if they have to to find the thing that really fits for them so Mm -hmm. did you have external factors or internally like how did you feel about that
1: Mm -hmm. um yeah there was definitely some pressures for sure like there was the you know the have you found a career yet what are you gonna do um there was you, you know i do need to make money i was very lucky to be living with my parents and they were very understanding and like, you know, like we'll help, like you have some time, you can figure things out for sure. Um, but I didn't want to become reliant on that. Um, and it was, and I always worked. So after the, my first year in university was the only year where I didn't work while I was in school. Um, so while I was in the journalism program, I was still coaching. So I had my own team. Um, I had a, I had a support coach at the time too. So I was, managing a team as well as like programming for my assistant coach and going into a journalism program that you know every time you ask or you mention like hey I might have a job there like this job this program is too busy to have a job kind of thing um and it was uh it was a it was an intensive program for a year right so like uh it was I would be at this I would be at the school like 7am to 5pm and then coaching like 6 to 10 or something like that like Monday to Friday. So, I think because I was wanted to make sure that I had an income, I maybe maybe I didn't put as much into the program as I could have, but I don't know in hindsight I, I like I don't think I made the wrong decision with that because I knew that wasn't a field I imagined I, I could see myself ending up in if that makes sense. Journalism was sort of just a, like, try it out and see if it
0: works out. But it sounds like even at the time, you weren't fully committed. This was like, it was something that you could do because you were coaching and and the the cost, I imagine, wasn't crazy expensive. So, and like, you had the support of your parents, stay at home, figure Mm -hmm. out what you want to do. So I'll try it out. But if it doesn't work out, if it's not what I want to do, no big deal.
1: Yeah. Like, I think I got, I think I realized that like about a third of the way into the program was like... Hey, this might not end up, it would be love. I would be, I would love it if this ended up being an avenue I stayed in for a few years, but because of just the jobs that I was seeing around, and there was a lot of unpaid internships and there's a lot of unpaid work, right? Which, you, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a bit of a, like, what's the word? Um, unpaid internships, there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons, right? Like, the end of the day, yeah, to yeah. be able to, Work in an unpaid internship is definitely a privilege, right? Like I had bills I had to pay, I had things I had to, like I wasn't able to, like I didn't have that. I guess safety net for lack of a better word. Whether it was like, I, like I didn't want to rely on my parents, and right, um, right. If I was going to make it, I wanted to make it kind of on my own. If that made sense.
0: And yeah, no, I I get that.
1: Yeah, and like looking at those, like you know, the options in journalism. A lot of it was like you know, do a year of an internship here, uh, you won't get paid. I c- right. I can't function like that, right? Um, I think things have changed since then, but that was kind of. I think I was at school around like the peak of the. I remember hearing about it in the news about some of the interns that just like they're doing full time jobs, but they're not being re- like they're not. They're, yeah, you know. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I yeah. recall.
0: I, I definitely don't hear about it as much these days, but I do recall hearing about it back then. This is what, like 2013 or
1: something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It was 2012, 2013 I was in school. 20-
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember at that point in time hearing a lot about sort of the exploitation of interns. Um, yeah, that's the word I'm I, was sure I was looking it was for. Like, Yes, exploitation mm-hmm. of interns was something I remember seeing floating around with, you know, CBC was writing about it. So it was like a major yeah. national thing that mm-hmm. unpaid internships shouldn't be a thing. So yeah, you have yeah. to... You have to deal with that and the I like what you said about like you wanted to make it on your own and that Mm -hmm. was a path that was not going to make it easy. And and in fact it would be not just not easy, but incredibly difficult given the unpaid nature of a lot of those jobs early on. So then how do you how do you figure out how to pivot into something else? I mean, you were already you were still working at the Y doing coaching and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. you have that to I don't know if fall back on is the right term, but like that's always a thing that you've you've been doing and you're good at, so you can keep doing that. But I imagine at that point, you already knew that you wanted to keep exploring because you had gone and tried out journalism in the first place, which means you were looking for something else. So how do you figure out where to go when journalism is clearly a path with a lot of roadblocks?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I will... I went back to the Y and I went back full time there, and then I started picking up some uh, coaching. I coached more. I started picking up. I coached a couple teams. I started working more full time, but then I started volunteering in some other local. Like so, I still did journalism things after I finished that program, but I did it as a volunteer and I did it very sporadically. Um, so, like I, okay. uh, I was a uh, contributing writer for maybe about six months. Into a, uh, I guess a blog. It was called The Gals Got Game, and it was about. Uh, it was it was an it was an. I really liked the idea. It was about. It was a uh, started by some w- uh, young women in business who, they were trying to get involved with conversations about sports. Like I guess in the in biz, a lot of business cultures, like you know, you talk about the game last night, and a lot of women, not not just women, but people in general, just were like, I don't know what you're talking about, but the game. And so it was like a blog that people could subscribe to and it would give you like the Coles notes of some of the major sports and games and stuff like that. Um hmm. so I did a little bit of that. That was neat. Um what else? I also worked in a magazine um in Hamilton. It was a startup and it was called uh it was called Luminescence and uh it just it highlighted local women in Hamilton. That were successful in the business world or successful in their careers. Um, it moved on from there. It started, which is it started in like you know the backyard of the of the editor with this idea, and I helped with some of the business, some of the social media stuff. So I would help with uh, social media posts or their media package that they would send to. Uh, they would they would send media packages to, um, I guess, advertising and stuff like that. So I did a little bit of that. That was actually where I did my internship because um, I figured if I'm going to work for free, I'm going to, you, I'm going to, I'm going to share my talents with people that are starting something, not people that could afford to pay me and choose not to pay me. <laughs> um Right, right. And so that was a good experience as well. And I did that for, yeah, I, I guess maybe about a year or two, but then once I started coaching more, um, I started taking on my synchro Club social media. So I I, beca- I kind of used my journalism cuz journalism at the time like social media 2012 2013 that's when it was starting to really take off, right? Like um Instagram yeah, like and brands Twitter were starting to yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't just starting- like
0: for, you know, you and your family to connect with one mm-hmm. another. It was definitely the rise of of brands being online yeah. and uh, conveying mm-hmm. information.
1: Yeah, yeah, information sharing. So I, I, dabbled a little bit in that, and I, I felt like I, I did use my journalism experience with that. Like again, the succinct writing, the capturing, capturing your attention right away, photos and stuff like that. So I did that while I was working at the Y and while I was coaching. So yeah, actually, you were
0: you found a way to sort of connect the two things you really enjoyed. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. So my my what I said before was it's my assumption of what happened next is not in fact correct because <laughs> if you were getting more into the coaching but you still found a way to do this other thing you enjoyed and, mo- and mesh them together, then there is less outside external driving factors saying, oh, go figure out what the next thing is because you've actually found the one thing you really enjoyed and found a way to take the other thing you enjoyed and sort of add it to that so Mm -hmm. did it seem like this was something that was going to have that that long-term career path for you or was it was it just like before where you were thinking like let's just try it for a while and and see how it goes and see what I can do with it
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, it was it was a let's see what I can do with it it was a let's see how far this path can go yeah okay because I think if I switched paths I would always wonder what if yeah and going back to i felt like i was getting a lot out of what i was doing i was learning every day was different it didn't feel monotonous um yeah
0: and i was and you know i'm i'm asking these questions when we're like in our early 30s and mm-hmm. this is maybe more of a product of the way that i it's, it's hindsight really i'm i'm thinking mm-hmm. back to like when i was 21 was i or 23 or whatever was I like super concerned about what I was going to be doing a decade later? And like, would yeah. this job lead to something a decade later? And probably not. But now I think I try to go back and draw these lines and figure out if if people... I, actually, I guess this really answers a question. Is that like, you weren't really thinking about like 10 years from now, you were thinking about like, at the time, I'm happy with this. And let's see where it leads to. And there, there wasn't this overarching broad plan about like, where is this going to lead me to in 10 years and 20 years? And I point this out because part of the reason I, part of the reason I do this podcast is so that people who are the age that we were back then in their early twenties can realize like, you don't have to have it all planned out. You Mm -hmm. can just go from, go from one thing to the next. And as long as you're You've indicated a few times, like you were building new skills this whole time. So it doesn't matter if this job wasn't going to directly lead to the next job. You were building a skill set that would be applicable in a future job. So you don't have to know exactly what's coming next in order to feel like you're doing something that is building
1: upon your career. Mm -hmm, Exactly. It was uh, so many like, and again, the more, the older I got, the more I realized, you know, those work job qualities they're transferable right like a good workplace is a good workplace is a good like a a work ethic is a work ethic is a work ethic like it's those skills will take you well they'll open a lot of doors for you that weren't open before right like going back to the why like again because i had proven that i could work and that i was consistent and i was reliable i was able to do things like managing other staff or becoming an aquatic coordinator before the age of 25 like that's that's not common but it's those doors wouldn't have been open to me if I just you know this is just a workplace this is just a job just come in and do my time and leave but
0: yeah 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 right Mm -hmm. so you're you spend a bunch of time building up all these transferable skills and was there another moment where you decided okay I'm gonna try something else now like coaching is great and I can always come Mm -hmm. back to it but I have this other interest that I need to go explore
1: yeah, so I had I had transitioned from the Y to Synchro. I was coaching Synchro full time. Um, I signed a contract as the rec coordinator there, and then I moved to the Y part-time. So I was guarding a couple days a week. I was teaching aquafit hydrotherapy a couple times a week, but my prime job was coaching and doing the social media and running all the rec programs for the Synchro club. And it was a good fit. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed well in both both the y and synchro i really enjoyed working with my staff so um a lot most most of the people that i hired coaching or lifeguarding was their first ever job and so you, i'm sure you remember your first ever interview like you know the jitters the fear the being like this person has their life together like you know oh yeah <laughs> and um being so nervous for that and so i really liked working with staff To build those skills and again build that atmosphere of this is a learning opportunity this is your first job um what you put into it is what you get out of it so like you know your work ethic is what what you want to do with this job is your choice but I'm here to support you kind of thing and uh synchro was the same so again you know um I got certified to Well, I I got certified to teach advanced aquatics and that kind of stuff and helping athletes and swimmers realize where they wanted to go or if this was a good fit for them. I really liked that. And so with coaching, what ended up happening, I was there for, I was full time, I think for two years. And at that point, i started to feel like I was starting to hit a wall. Like I was, I think I was 26 or 27 when I started to realize, hey, like, this is really, I carved it, I carved a nice little career for myself, like not very many people are full time coaches, right? Mm -hmm. But I was starting to kind of reach limits. So the club that I was at works evenings and weekends, which is fine, but doing that for 40 hours a week meant, you know, my time off is when everybody else in the world is working. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I started to realize, like, I started to, I guess, reach the like realizing I was starting to get as much as I could out of well out of the why and out of coaching um and starting to think okay I, what else is out there kind of thing what other areas would I be able to apply these skills in and um that is when I decided well essentially I missed working I I missed having my weekends and so then I thought, hey, education, I'm kind of educating already. I'm working in the rec facilities like the Y. I'm teaching lifeguards how to teach swimming lessons and how to manage a pool deck. I'm teaching aquafit. I'm coaching athletes of all levels and abilities. Like I I coached coaches on coaching as young as 3. That's a lot of coach in one sentence. Um, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, and then I worked with athletes with exceptionalities. Uh, I worked with high performance athletes. I worked with masters athletes. I worked with women who like they were in their 60s and 70s and coming to synchro once a week.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Living that Retired life, finding something to do. Yeah. To have and fun I would with, talk their with them
1: like so the ones like the, the masters ladies. I, I loved coaching all of them, but I was working with them a lot that like a lot of them were teachers or were like, have you thought about teaching? And I was kind of like, um, a little bit. My parents really thought education was a good fit for me. So, like, I get a lot of flashbacks of them in, like, you know, high school or in my early 20s being like, you should be a teacher, Katie. You should be a teacher. And I was like, I guess it's time. I should try this. So, um, I planned, like, that was, I did, I made a plan. So, I was about 26, 27, and I made a plan for the next year. So, to get, like, you know, arrange everything, get things ready so that I could, give my all into education the next school year. I remember being really nervous because I was worried that my grades weren't good enough. Like, you know, I w- yeah, I was worried my grades weren't good enough. I wasn't worried I wasn't going to get in. Then would be like, okay, now what? And also I was looking into going to school at the time where it was really hard to get a job as a teacher. So I had a lot of f- family, I had a lot of friends, a lot of people yeah. being like, you're going into education, really? Why? Like, you're not going to get a job kind of thing and uh i I did it anyways i was just like no like this is this feels like a natural progression like i'm I'm ready for this kind of thing and i was so nervous i applied to five or six different schools and i i actually got into all of them and i remember that because i was just so emotional about it being like this is a sign this is the right this is the right step like other people could see you, you know what i mean like it's other people could see that this was a yeah. natural progression for me. Um, what else? Oh, and while I was coaching, I did have some time off in the summers. So the summer before I applied for Teachers College. So I was starting to think about it and I was like, okay, this is a good fit. This might be a good fit. I went up to the Northwest Territories. One of my close friends was teaching up there. And I uh, went into her school, like we did a big road trip, but um, after that, but the last month of her school year, I uh, went into the school just to kind of see it and just, I had a bit of a travel bug. So I was like, okay, I can travel and I can explore a school and see if this is a good fit. And it was, so then I applied. (laughs) Yeah. There you go.
0: So what I really like hearing there is like, you didn't just jump in both feet without being sure like you actually went and Mm -hmm. and checked out a school with a friend and realized that's what I was going to comment on it before when you talked about the internship for journalism I talk all the time now about co-op that Mm -hmm. a lot of students take and it's the thing that I really wish I had some sort of co-op experience when I was a student because I see how valuable it is for students now not just to find the thing that they do enjoy or to verify that they do enjoy the thing they're Studying for, but there's sometimes where people do it, and it's what helps them realize, like, mm-hmm. no, I need to pivot. This is not what I should be doing. So, uh, good for you for taking the the time to actually like reach out and explore that career to make sure it was going to be the right fit. And while it is far overdue, congrats on getting into all of the schools you <laughs> applied for.
1: Thank you. That was a it was a nice surprise. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. So then, how do you pick which school to go to? Because I know where you ended up going and like, where else did you get in? And how do you pick there over the other schools?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I actually, I accepted Brock University first, um, mainly because of the proximity. So I was located, I was living in Hamilton at the time. I'd moved out of my parents. I was living on my own in Hamilton. Um, And I was like, oh, like I could, again, using coaching as a safety net. I was like, I could still coach. I could, I know Halton, I know the Halton area. Um, I know a lot of teachers in that area like it was uh, like if I was thinking about uh, they say when you're looking at teachers colleges you want to think about where your placements are because um, those will help you get in at those school boards so you want to try to get a placement it, it's not always like things change obviously but it's a lot easier to move forward if you do a placement where you want to end up so at the time I was like oh Halton like the Hamilton, Burlington, Oakville, Milton area. I was like, okay, that, that works. But, uh, so I accepted that one. And then, um, I, I, I went to a like virtual t- meeting about the Laurier education program. Cause I got accepted into Wilfrid Laurier as well. And, I really liked some of the of, unique features of Laurier's education program that other schools didn't necessarily have, and so I ended up I ended up switching. I um I uh, transferred to Laurier and joined their faculty of education, like way before school even started. Like I accepted Brock, and then I think like a week later, I was like, okay, Laurier is better for me. Um. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> what were some
0: of the things you really liked about the Laurier program that were different?
1: Um, so Laurier's program is quite small. Um, my cohort was 40 people, and the entire so one of the yeah, the cohort was small, there was 40 people. I was in junior intermediate, so I was training for grades four to 10 with a specialty in English. Um, so My cohort, there was two, there's four cohorts in total, because Teachers College is a two-year program now, which, you know, I was reminded often, you missed the one-year program, but uh, Right, right, right. Because as I could have, if I went right after university, it would have been a one-year, but anyways, that's beside the point. So there was two cohorts in first year and two cohorts in second year. So my entire, the entire education department was, uh, what, four, eight. Like a hundred, hundred, hundred four, hundred sixty. No, I, I'm really bad at math, which is why I don't. Don't teach worry,
0: math. <laughs> not huge is the answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite small, and like all the other teachers' colleges, they're so big. And again, I wanted, I liked the small feel. Um, but what was the big selling factor for me was Laurier's program. I graduated with two hundred days in a school. So for placements and stuff for Ontario at the time and it could have changed you only needed 80 days of placement to graduate so 200 is over twice that right I know that much math (laughs) Um, and uh, especially I was stressed about going in because I thought I thought I would be an older student but I wasn't I was like right I was the average age I was going in I went in at 28 and I was going to graduate at 30 so I was a little nervous about you know Starting a brand new career at thirty um, is doable, but I, I guess it's becoming more common now. But at the time when I was thinking about it, it wasn't super super common.
0: Oh, it's um, doable. Go yeah. go listen to every episode of this <laughs> podcast. Most yeah. people are changing careers, so it's definitely doable.
1: Yeah, but at the time you're like, is this the right? You, you know what I mean? That you know it's doable. Oh yeah, no, but I get it. I get stressful. it. Well, that's why. I- <laughs>
0: That's why yeah. I'm talking to you right yeah. now because I'm trying yeah. to figure out what, what am I going to change <laughs> to if I change careers? So yeah. I feel it. I had to, yeah. I've said before, this is like, these episodes are like my therapy sessions where I just talk mm-hmm. to other people and figure out what I'm going to do next. And this is just to calm me down if I make the decision to switch careers. So I, yeah. I totally get
1: it. Mm-hmm. And like my cohort, there was such a wide range of people, which was really great. There was, there, you know, there were some people that came right out of undergrad. Um, there was people like me that like, you know, dabbled in the workforce for- maybe like five, 10 years. And then there were some people that like this was like they were in their 50s or they're in their 40s going to teachers college. And it's a two year program. It's a big commitment. It's not like, you know, my journalism program was 10 months. This one is two years. Um, Actually, a funny story. One of our professors was in first year when I was in second year from history. Huh. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a small world moment. Like it was it was really cool. Who funny. was it? Am am I allowed to name drop? I don't know. (laughs) Oh,
0: absolutely. Name drop all you want.
1: I was uh, Dr. Sager. Oh, yeah. Jason Sager. I
0: I have him on Facebook. I I knew he had transitioned into something. That's awesome. Good for him. Yeah. So
1: he was in first year while I was in second year. And it was, it was just, it was, again, like it was a wide range of people coming in from different areas, which I think, I think in education, especially as, you know, Schools are diverse, and experiences are diverse, and you know, like careers, they're not linear; they're all over the place. I think it was a really good reminder that that's normal and that's okay.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, mm-hmm. this is
1: all this is all amazing. This is exactly mm-hmm. the type of stuff I want people to talk about <laughs> on here.
0: Yeah, perfect. Okay. Yeah. So when you graduate, then mm-hmm. you had thought, okay, I'm in this area. It's it's you know similar to you mentioned Halton region, right? You were familiar mm-hmm. with it, and that's where you. You're from Waterdown. You were living in Hamilton, and are you? Do you just start applying to school boards there with the expectation of like I'm going to get a job here, and then I'll work for the next 25, 35 years in this area, and then there's my life all you know ahead of me. I got it all planned out. Um, or I would expect that's probably not what happened because <laughs> I choose to interview people who it's not as simple as that.
1: Yeah, well, thinking like that really stresses me out. Like, again, I had a full time permanent job that could have lasted my lifetime. But it was thinking like, that's what I'm yeah. going to do for 50 years. Like, I was like, not ready for that. Um, So graduating. So when my with my placements, so... I was in a school two days a week throughout the year, and then I did a bunch of placements outside of that. And so I did a placement in Milton, I did a placement in Hamilton, and I did a placement in Waterloo. And um, they were really good experiences. And I actually, I, you know what, this time around, and I'm, I'm one, I don't know if it was because I was more mature, or if I realized, hey, this is my career, or like, feeling like education was a good fit. Um I started doing a lot more job interviews and I uh, was more engaged with the job seeking process towards the end of my program. So I did a a lot of interviews, I got offered a few positions, I took a supply teaching job actually in Thames Valley, which is London, uh, the London region. So I was all geared up to start supply teaching there. but were you gonna
0: again, were you gonna commute there?
1: Uh, so the London school board is massive. I think it's physically it might be this. I think it's the second biggest school board, and the London like so Thames Valley school board borders Waterloo region. And I was oh, I had wow. moved okay yeah, yeah it's big it's big. So I was yeah. teaching. I, I had moved to Waterloo. My partner and I moved into an apartment, and we lived in Waterloo during my teacher's college. So. I was in Waterloo and I was like, okay, London's not far. Well, the border of London, the London school board. So I was supply teaching in like those little country um, schools. Like they were really like mm-hmm. K to A, one school in the town kind of thing. I was doing that for a little bit right after I graduated. I went on a little bit of a tangent. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah. No, It I, doesn't sound like a tangent yeah. to me. It's That works. Yeah. I mean, I probably won't even include this part, but if I do, it's like where you live and and moving physically to another location, that's not a small thing to do, right? So Mm -hmm. like literally, it's one thing to move apartments within a city, but to move to a different city or town, most of the time you're doing that because of a career. I'm yeah. not cutting this out. Mm-hmm. This is going in.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's true. And uh, so I applied to, I lived in Waterloo. I was applying to areas around Waterloo that had jobs available. And uh, the way that teaching co- contracts were at the time, and I think they might have changed I don't think they've changed that much recently, but um, you start as a supply teacher and then you are able to do—they're called LTOs, long-term occasionals—and then from there you get contracts. So I kind of knew the process, and I was like, okay. So I was thinking about going into different occasional jobs, um, like supply, essentially a supply teacher. Figuring out what area you want to work in, mm-hmm. and I, I really liked the schools that I was in. Like they were—they were great schools, um, but. I found one thing I didn't love was as a supply teacher, um, not knowing. And again, it's so different. It was the time of year was the end of the year. Um, not knowing if I was going to get a job that day or if I was like where I was going to be going. And that's not, that's not the norm. It was just, it was totally the time of year that I was doing that in. But, um, part of me, I have a bit of a travel bug and, uh, part of me was like, you know, before I settle into a school board that I'm going to be in till I'm 60 and retire, I'd like to see what else is there, out there. And um, one of the things that I find really interesting about education is that it's, it's a provincial mandate. It's not a federal one. So the programming, like the things in Ontario are way different than Manitoba or Alberta or BC, like, you know, teacher's requirements, um, contracts, that kind of stuff. So I had started looking out of province just to see if I would like it or if it was a good fit. Like I found the field that I want to spend until I retire in, but I hadn't found the role yet. And so I had started looking. I was actually – I was looking at BC. Like I was getting ready to, you know – take on like i i was looking at prince george i was looking at fort nelson i was like like they're northern bc i thought i would have ended up there but i found some job application or job postings available for teaching in nunavut and um i applied i was like i they probably won't i won't hear anything i'm a brand new teacher i just graduated like the likelihood of me getting a full-time permanent contract is quite low um And then uh, I met a friend or there was a friend of mine who was she was a year older or she was a year above me in teachers college. So she was in second year when I was in first year. So we recognized each other from there. But uh, our paths crossed when I was in second year. And she said, I just accepted a job in Nunavut. And I was like, oh, where? And she told me and I was like, I just applied there. So she had already accepted a role. And they were still hiring for teachers. So she contacted the principal there and was like, There's another teacher I know that's has just submitted their resume. And I think that's how I got on the top of the pile. But, you know, the rest I did my own interview, did all that. But um it was I ended yeah, I took a job in Johaven, Nunavut. And uh yeah, it was it was an experience and uh it was nice to go no up kid. there. Yeah, it was nice to go up there with uh somebody that I'd been familiar with. So the you know yeah. her name was Katie as well, so you know, two Katies from Laurier going up to Nunavut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, you know what I've just learned is I've seen you post about it online and I've been pronouncing it wrong in my head the entire time. So <laughs> I, I had it as a, like Goja Haven or something like that in my yeah
1: mind. yeah Gjoa I used to call it Gjoa, um, but it's it's actually it's um it's Norwegian in origins. It's named after the, uh, Amundsen ships, like, they named it Joe Johaven. Jo Haven, and uh, hmm. it, the Inuktitut name is Ukshuktuk, which is land of plenty fat because it was a uh, good area for hunting seals and whales and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So is it right on the water? Yeah, yeah, it's right on the bay. It's on King William Island, which is a massive island, but it's the only popular. It's the an island. It's definitely on the water then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I should have been more specific when I said I wanted to live the island beach life because I'm on a beach. I'm on an island, (laughs) but it's north of the tree line and it's frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little bit
0: different than some other people might be thinking about when they think of beach island life. Yeah. So how long have you been up there now and how this is a small community, right? Like Mm -hmm. what's it even like to get in there? Is it, do you have to fly in or can you get in by boat when it's not frozen?
1: Yeah. Um, so I've been there since August, 2019, I signed a three year contract. So I just finished year two of three. It is. So all of Nunavut is fly in. Um, there are no roads that you can, you cannot enter Nunavut by car. Um, and I, are, is, yeah. I, I not I shouldn't be shocked, but I
0: I I am only surprised because I I looked at a job in Inuvik in, in the Northwest mm-hmm. Territories and they actually I was surprised that you could drive there, but literally only in the winter over I ice say, roads. It's, it's on an I, ice road. I read road. something <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I remember hearing it was like a fourteen day drive from Ottawa if you only drove eight hours a day, or something outrageous like that. And uh, yeah, so I yeah, it it's I've done a little bit of like research Mm -hmm. into what it's like to work up that far north, but um, no, I want to hear your experience. Keep
1: going. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. So it's an island. It's flying. Uh, it's on the Northwest Passage. So for the history buffs, it is the last community before the Franklin Expedition. Uh, ruins, the shipwrecks. So uh, Joe Haven... Oh, yeah. yeah, Joe Haven was the community that knew where the shipwrecks were, but, you know, people weren't listening to them until 2014 and then they found the ships. Um, and uh, it's... So it, it had... Before, before COVID, it had a little bit of tourism with that. It has a beautiful heritage center. Um, there's some jobs with Parks Canada. Um, they work in tandem with some of the elders and locals in the community, they do a guardianship program because uh, Nunavut, I, I've learned a ton about Nunavut living in it and teaching social studies in it. Um, but it's territories have a little bit, they're, they're, they're run a little bit differently than provinces and it's Inuit owned land. So it's Parks Canada working with the Inuit. Um, together rather than, you know, 100 years ago, that would have been a very different story. 50 years ago, that would have been a very different yeah. story. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, It was a trading post for a long time, uh, became a permanent c- settlement in around the 20s with the Hudson's Bay. And it actually, so another history thing that I can see the do, the dew do line from uh, my bedroom window. <laughs> um, I've walked to it, like the, yeah it's 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 neat it's there's oh, there's a lot interesting. of interesting neat history there for sure
0: um so let's pretend or uh be honest and i'll point out i don't remember what the do line is you're <laughs> gonna have to tell me about that um i
1: it's something um, early warning. Do we just cut
0: this out because we can't explain it right
1: now? <laughs> Uh well, I can explain it. I just don't remember what the D stands for, but it was um put in in the 50s with the Cold War. Oh, cause... this is like
0: the NORAD thing. Yeah yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. The missile defense. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, if yeah, we yeah. can find out if the Russians are firing missiles over Canada. Right. Yeah,
1: and it's still okay, active. I, know what that I can is. tell you yeah. that. Yeah. Um Yeah. It's still active. I walked to it. Um it's uh yeah yeah it's a, it's an early warning system and it was put there in the 50s so um nunavut is it's it's its colonization history is a lot more it's it's different than down south and it's a little bit more recent mm. but uh there the Nunavut Land Claims Act the N- NLCA is a big it it's a big part of what i do It's a set of laws that govern how Nunavut is run. And it's governed by Inuit, for Inuit, and I'm hired by the government to do my job. But um, it does so much more than that. Like it protects the land, protects the water, gives Inuit a say in the development that's going on. I'm not sure if you hear in the news a little bit, sometimes with the mines, um, there's people that are disagreeing on what they're doing. -hmm. The land claim agreement. Well, it's the biggest one. I know it's the biggest one in in Canada. I can't remember if it's for in the entire world, but it's it's self government governance, and um, that happened because well, Nunavut, oh the North, was seen as like a remote land, like of nothing. But there's so much there. You just you didn't know you don't know where to look, right? If you're if you don't if you're not from there, right? So. it didn't become part of national interest until, until the cold war, right? Like um, until where I live is closer to Russia than Florida. Um, And it's just, it's so vast. Um, And the government wanted to start putting um, like, wanted to start showing that it was part of Canadian territory. And so that's where the dew line came in. That's where some of the things that you hear about, like there was in the 50s and 60s, there was forced relocations, that kind of stuff that it's it's a tough part of history, but it's an important like it's yeah. important to know what happened. Because a lot of that led to the Inuit saying, we want to we want to take care of ourselves. Like we've been taking care of ourselves for thousands of years. We're not we're not going to just, you know, put a do line in here without without having a say in it kind of thing.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna, we could, we're gonna have to start up our own podcast <laughs> just to talk about this stuff, some sort of Northern history podcast, and we can yeah. uh, talk more about that because we could just go on forever and talk about
1: this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been an eye-opener. But anyway, so yes, history aside, my job, I went in as a generalist. So teaching in high school, kind of filling in different job like different courses as needed. So, I ended up teaching. I taught social studies. So, again, tying in my history undergrad, tying in my journalism, I was able to use a lot of those skills to create a, to work with the curriculum to, you know, teach my kids their, teach my kids history and social studies and civics and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. else I also did career programming. Um, So I was running careers courses where I was teaching students how to, you know, write resumes. We practiced job interviews, Um, you know, got the nerves out. Like part of my program, I would have them sit with me and do an interview kind of thing and, you know, get that practice in because there's not a lot of school student jobs in my community. My community is very small and it's very it's in a very remote area of Nunavut. It's not like Iqalui or Cambridge Bay where there's it's it's a bigger population. So I was doing that stuff before COVID. I was actually getting set up to uh, Im- implement a co-op program with the high school because we don't have one. But then, you know, with COVID, we even though we don't have it in our community, we have to follow the government or the territory-wide procedures. And so I wasn't right. able to do that. Uh, so that was my first year. And then um, for second year, I got moved into the student support role. So it's SST for short. Um, It's a resource room. So it's essentially um, working on individual education plans or accommodations, making sure students, the differentiation in classrooms are meeting the needs of the students. So making sure that, you know, students are given opportunities to learn or show their learning in ways that work for them. Because, you know, we all learn differently. We all function differently. And, um, that's kind of Mm -hmm. been my niche and that's the role that I'm going into next year.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously then education, I shouldn't say obviously, but it sounds (laughs) like that is something you are happy doing and you're, you're excited about the prospect of what it's going to provide for you. It seems like you're working on creating programming on your own. That isn't necessarily even at the directive of what you should be doing you're just finding extra things you can add value to the students who you're teaching so i'm going to assume you're very happy with what you're doing now and you've found a career that it's what you're going to do mm-hmm. would that be accurate
1: yeah like i yeah i even in teacher's college i realized okay education is the right field for me this is like that was the first time where i was like okay this is i can do this i, I have enough skills i'm confident in my knowledge I'm confident in asking for help and you know collaborating and working with people. It just I don't know. It felt it felt like it was the right fit. It took me a while. It took me you know a good ten years after high school to figure it out, but it was uh, the right fit. And this last role that I'm in has been a really good experience as well because I had found I liked being in a classroom, but I also liked having flexibility. So I didn't like being in a classroom all day every day I was starting to get a little bit it wasn't monotonous but just feeling like okay this is I'm gonna be sitting in a classroom every day for 30 years not up for that but I liked the flexibility Mm -hmm. so in the SST role I did teach a couple courses but I wasn't full-time teaching I was working with other teachers I was writing plans I was working with Um, other professionals like, uh, physical, like, uh, occupational therapy, speech language pathology, uh, behavioral experts. Like I was kind of the, I was facilitating the supports that are available for my students and finding and, um, seeing how we could implement what they're suggesting into the classrooms for student success. So it was, uh, it was more than just it was more than just standing at a classroom and even regular teaching isn't yeah. like that but me feeling like i was doing that made me realize case okay, so i i needed a role in education with a little more flexibility
0: okay so yeah you've found the <laughs> thing that you want to keep doing you've like mm-hmm. you said it took maybe 10 years after high school but you figured it out which is fantastic and i know you told me just before we started recording that you're now Going even above and beyond teaching and you're going to get a master's in education. So what was the decision? Mm-hmm. How did you make that decision to go and do that?
1: Um, well, so the community I'm in, when during the first shutdown, so you know when all of Canada shut down in March 2020, yeah. everybody moved to remote online learning. That's not an option at my school, at my community. Most of the kids don't have computers. Computer literacy is still a new thing, um, let alone internet access. Like I was telling you before this, like, you know, we had a blizzard and you don't have internet for two days. Um, So it's just, that's not reliable. So from March 2020 onwards, I had a lot of spare time living in the Arctic, like I was, you know, I was reaching out to students on, like, calling them when I could. I was making, you know, traditional work packages, like where you like paper and pen, and you know, that's not that's not an ideal way of learning, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. And that wasn't that's that's not full time. I had so much extra time, um, so I started looking at programs, and I was very lucky in with the teachers union in Nunavut. There is a lot of professional development funding, and it's. I feel like it's important to take advantage of, because, um, well, the Inuit teachers. It's a great like they, they It's a great opportunity to continue your development, and for teachers that were trained down in the south, it's a great. It's. I think it's really really important to develop so that you are culturally appropriate for the community that you're in. Right, and so that union provides a lot of options with that. So, knowing I had that support, I started looking at online masters programs that would be a good fit for what I need. So then I found uh, University. I'm in University of New Brunswick, and I applied to their Masters of Education in Critical Studies. So it's um, it's a lot of deconstructing education, analyzing it, and looking at ways that we can support a more multicultural or diverse idea of what education is like the education that you and I know is very much sit at a desk, do your work, do your time. Like it's very, it's very um, well, it's very time management. It's very like um, structured. Yeah. Structured or like, like a, like a factory. It's kind of like a factory, right? Like, Oh yeah. Just, yeah. Y- you that. know, and most, most of us don't learn that way. And so, I really liked this program because it's, it's challenging that and it's acknowledging the different ways of learning and how to apply that because everybody will benefit from that. And in a student success role or student support role, that's kind of, that's, that's a big part of my job too, right? Like I'm helping, I'm working with teachers. Like if you know what your students needs are, like if you have a student who, you know, has, has been diagnosed with ADHD, for example, like, sitting in a desk for an hour is not going to be successful for you or for them. Right. So yeah. that's kind of how I ended up in there.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. It, it sounds very much like it's going to support your ability to do your job very well over the length of your career in teaching, which brings me to my last question, which is, are you going to stay up north or you think you're going to come back down south at some point?
1: I definitely am going to come back south at some point. I really enjoy my time up in Joe Haven. It's been a, I have learned a ton about myself. I've learned a ton about the community, about a part of Canada, but I don't see myself settling down there, which I feel a little bit guilty about because that type of community and that school sees a lot of staff transition. But um, Mm. it's, I'm looking at it as I'm trying to help support the students so that they can take over my role so that, you know, they feel empowered or confident and say, hey, I want to become an educator. And Great. let's Let's get you there. Let's set a goal and let's get you there kind of thing.
0: Perfect. Well, that's mm-hmm. a great spot to end this. So, <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for sharing all of that today. And going through your different multiple career paths. Uh, It's been certainly eye-opening for me and I hope for other people. So once again, thank you so much.
1: Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. It was nice to see (laughs) you.
0: Yeah, you too. All right. So that is Katie's career path so far. It was really nice talking to Katie because she's someone who we're sort of in some of the same circles and we cross paths every now and again, but I haven't seen her in a couple of years since she's been up north, so it was great to catch up and hear what she's been up to all this time. On top of that, it was great to talk to her because of some of the things she had to say and some of the lessons that I think we can learn from Katie. To do that, I want to go back and talk about career number two and talk about the time in Katie's life where she was looking into journalism as a career option. So we talked about how it was a one-year program, and for her it was very much a try it out, see if it was the right fit type of idea. But as she said, she knew about a third of the way through the program that it might not be a great fit for her long term. And her internship only reinforced that as she started to see a change in the industry where people who did the specific job she wanted to do were sort of going away. As everybody had a smartphone and they were becoming all aspects of a journalist they were able to do many different parts of the role from research to on camera to writing so katie knew it might not be a long-term career fit for her but that didn't mean that she just gave up on journalism entirely it didn't disappear from her life she became a volunteer writer for the gals got game a blog about women in sports which was great for her because it combined her interest in sports as a swimmer with her interest in journalism And I'm sure all of you know that when you combine two things you like, usually you get something better out of it. Now that was a volunteer experience. It was not a job, but Katie also worked at a startup that highlighted women in business in Hamilton. And in that role, she also got the opportunity to work on their social media. So that was an opportunity that showed up because she was working in a job in journalism. It wasn't that she set out to have a career as a social media marketer or anything like that. It was a part of the job that she got, and she had to learn to do it. A little later on in the interview, Katie brought up transferable skills, and it was in the context of education. However, I think this social media experience in journalism is the perfect example of the concept of transferable skills. Sure, journalism was not going to be a career path that she chose to pursue, but The skills that she developed while briefly working in that field and studying in that field ended up helping her out in a different career. The next job she got was once again coaching Synchro, but the skills that she had obtained in that other job gave her the ability to also do the social media stuff for that team. That's probably not a make it or break it moment where if she wasn't good at it, she wouldn't get the job as a coach, but it is nice to be able to take things you're good at and do them at your job we can see the same thing again in her decision to transfer into education with all the aquatics jobs that Katie has had synchro coach lifeguard instructor swim instructor she was working with young people and helping them learn something new and that was what she said she really enjoyed about the job was helping them figure out if this was the right path for them and the same thing I think can be seen in Katie's decision to transfer into education She had all this experience with aquatics, and I think on the surface, how does aquatics become teacher? Well, as she mentioned, she got to work with young people and help them work through things, help them figure out if this was something they were interested in as a career, or help them learn how to do a brand new job when she was training lifeguards. So Katie decides, teacher, that's the way to go. And instead of being in the water and teaching people, she's in a classroom doing the same thing, helping young people learn something new. In the first example, we've got kind of a hard skill, copywriting, something she learned that she was able to do at one job and then do at another job, but in this case, it's all those soft skills that she learned from her job, hiring and training all of these people that became so important to her time in education. As someone myself who works in soft skill development with students, I can tell you that those are some of the most transferable skills out there. You will be able to take those things with you to any job that you get, and they will be useful in you being successful in that job, in that career path. So what can we learn from this? I think that if you realize that you're not where you need to be, think about the skills that you've acquired and where you might want to apply them next. And if you don't know what you want to do next with those skills, don't panic It might just take you some time to figure out what you might want to do. So you might as well keep honing those skills along the way. And then when you get to the next thing, maybe you'll find out a couple years in, it's not the right career path for you either, but you'll still have the skills you brought into that job. And now you're going to have new skills you learned at that job. And you'll be able to take those and use all of those skills whenever you do find the job that you're supposed to be in. Those are some things I learned from Katie today, which means we are at the end of the episode. If you know someone who would be interested in Katie's career path, please share this episode with them. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, go to CareerCrossroadsPodcast.com or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other player out there. And if you like what you hear, please leave the show a five-star review.